You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. All right, welcome back to Rants and Gems. This is Matt Garland, NMLS number 58700, better known as MG the Mortgage Guy. We are back with another incredible episode. But first, before you get started, let's make sure you guys have all the latest and greatest books by best-selling author, me, Matthew Garland, all right? Go to mgbookstore.com, pick up House Economics, and pick up the Real Estate Investors Manifesto. All right, so we're going to have a great conversation today here on Rants and Gems. We're talking to superstar real, commercial real estate broker. You would name like the top 40, like in the top 40 uh, social media influencers in the commercial real estate brokerage space as well, right? Number one commercial real estate agent on LinkedIn by commercial by CREI, which is the Commercial Real Estate Influencers Group. That's incredible. Ladies and gentlemen, throw some gems in the comments for Miss Tiffany Ryland. All the way from Houston, Texas, in studio here in New York. I had to come and see you. I had to. I had to come here live and see you. I'm watching you online. I'm like, I've got to come and see him in person. Look, thank you for coming to the Big Apple, aka the Rotten Apple. Um, it's hot in New York, so this is probably right at home it's for you. Perfect. You said earlier, um, off record, that off camera, that below anything below 110 degrees, you're good. That's perfect. That's amazing. <laughs> we're, we're almost there. I got a couple more degrees. Couple more degrees. But it's a great time to be in New York because it's absolutely gorgeous oh, yeah. for April in New York. So welcome. You brought the Texas sunshine with you. I, listen, I had to bring something. I come with gifts. We like gifts. Well, thank you for coming to the channel. And today we're going to have a conversation about commercial real estate. We haven't had any conversations about commercial real estate. We haven't spoken to any commercial brokerage on my YouTube channel or over here on Earn Your Leisure's YouTube channel um, about the commercial real estate space. So I want to know, first question from you is, can you tell us about your background and how did you even get involved with commercial real estate? Because most people, when they get their real estate license, it's automatically going into residential. Going into commercial is not really the first choice. So how did you 
get into commercial real estate? So it was definitely untraditional. Um, I ran from it for a long time. My parents were always in residential real estate, so I watched them go through the hustle and the bustle and driving here and driving there. So I just knew real estate was not for me. Um, but while so I was, that turned you off. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, we were cleaning houses. This is you know back in the day. Okay. And my mom and dad started the company with a Rolodex box at the kitchen table in our home, and so. They were so proud of this company and I hated it. I was sleeping under the desk at the office till wow. one o'clock in the morning while they were just, you know, going away at work. So I was always there and I just knew that's not what I wanted. Um, and so, you know, fast forward to me going off to college in Atlanta and I ended up getting blindly recruited because uh, I, I would do work for my dad for his commercial firm. And I'd put it on my resume because, you know, if he's not going to pay me, I got to at least put Absolutely. it on the resume. Take advantage, <laughs> right? Make that resume look good. Make it look good. So I got blindly recruited by one of the number one commercial real estate firms in the country to work as a procurement analyst. Um, and it was 100% remote. And, of course, everybody now is saying, you know, working from home is phenomenal. And at that time, I was like, yeah, this is cool. Um, I guess I'll do it. And what ended up happening was my mom was diagnosed with cancer and she got really sick. So when she got sick, I took my, you know, my computer and everything and went back home to Houston um, to be a caregiver. But I didn't recognize that I was signing up to be a full time caregiver for her. Um, and so once I recognized the severity of her illness, I then turned around and told the company, hey, I can't I can't work here anymore. But at that point, I had already started working to get my license. But it was just gradual kind of leisurely, if you will. Um, so when she passed away, I tell people this you know, all the time. I really believe that getting my commercial real or my real estate license is what saved my life because I was in such a dark space. The only thing that I remember doing over the course of a year and a half after my mom passed away is getting my license. Mm. I don't remember what I did day to day. I don't remember how I, you know, how I moved, where I, where I went. I don't remember any of the small things. I only remember getting my license. Um, and my dad, who knew that I was struggling, allowed me to come and work for him. I remember I got my license the week of his birthday and I came and I said, hey, I officially work for you now. And he was so patient with me and just gave me the time that I needed to recover and just to go through whatever emotions that I went through. And finally, when I came to, I, I realized I actually, I actually like this. Like, it's not a bad industry, especially when I get to come to work with my dad. So that's how I ended up in the commercial real estate industry. My condolences. Thank you. Um, to you and your family for the loss of your mom, um, that had to been, you know, going through your grieving process and getting licensed at the same time, and then now stepping in and kind of taking, I'm not gonna say take her role, but kind of like, now you're there with your dad now because he had your mom, she passes away, and now you come and you step up. So that must have been great for him too to oh, yeah. to have that uh, family still intact with the business so that's pretty dope oh, yeah. so you were born in the business basically I was born in the business I was born in the business I've watched him do it um, he actually has really opened up some channels and some conversations uh, my dad was one of the first african-american men in the in the region that we're in to get his CCIM designation which is like the PhD of commercial real estate um, and so CCIM mm -hmm. okay yeah and um, you know he has just really busted glass ceilings trying to make a voice for minorities in the commercial real estate space so watching him has really put a fire under me i'm like you can't you can't let all that good work go to waste you definitely got to hop back in there and keep pushing it and keep pushing the narrative and making sure that minority communities still have a voice in this space agreed how long have you been in the commercial side for now 
Uh, this will make my sixth year six officially. Years. But I tell people uh, when I say I worked for the company, I was doing marketing for them well before. While I was in college, I was doing marketing for them. And then I tell my dad all the time, I'm sure there's some child labor laws <laughs> against what I was doing when I was four, five, and six years old. Yeah. So you owe me some money there, kid, but you know, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> we'll talk about that later on the back end. <laughs> we'll talk about it later. So what are some of the key differences between a residential real estate broker and a commercial real estate broker? So off the top of mind, sales cycle. Mm -hmm. We talk about this a lot. Um, I think the big thing that people typically talk about is the money, which that's true too. Um, the, the transactions can be significantly larger. But one of the ones that I think is really important is the sales cycle. We can take a year, six months to a year to close on a transaction, whereas on the residential side, it could be 30, 60, 90 days. You know, buying and selling a home is a very quick process, or it can be. Um, on commercial real estate, there's so many other things that go into the commercial real estate transactions. If you're leasing, if you're purchasing, if you're disposing of property, there's so many other things that go into it that it can take a lot longer for those transactions to close. So I would say definitely from the money standpoint, the money is different. The way that we you know, commission out and we make our money is different. And then also how long our transactions take. That's There's a huge difference there. What, what makes a commercial transaction take longer? Like, what are some of the moving parts that, because look, I'm residential financing mainly. That's my main bread and butter. But I do dabble into commercial, but I try to stick to what I know. Mm -hmm. Multifamilies, mixed use. I will do retail from time to time, but mostly um, mixed use, multifamily, because it's the same language. Mm -hmm. It's the same process, so to speak. It's the same calculations, right? right. But when you're talking... Um, first of all, what type of commercial deals are you specializing in? So I do office, I do retail, I do land, I do industrial. Right now I have mm -hmm. my hand in all of those. Every once in a while we'll do multifamily. We have one in the pipeline now, uh, but primarily office, retail, land, industrial. So what makes office, land, retail differ from a regular like multifamily deal? Well, a multifamily deal can close in 90 days, four months, mm -hmm. but I've seen shit <laughs> retail deals office spaces take two years to close mm -hmm. like what's that cycle like that's making it take so long so it depends on if you're doing a leasing uh, deal an acquisition deal or a disposition deal um, and then how the business structure is is curated so if you have a group of people that are looking to acquire land you have to work with the different the different parties that are involved in that. And so sometimes you'll have a group that started off on the same page, started off with the same ideas. And maybe, for instance, I had a property where there was an encroachment. One party wanted out of the deal. The other party wanted to stay in the deal. You said encroachment. encroachment. An encroachment. An encroachment. So is, essentially, what's encroachment? What is great, that? Great question. There was a building that was sitting on a piece of property that was on two different parcels of land. And one parcel said the ownership is, is owner A. Tiffany owns this part over here. There was 2,500 square feet of land that nobody could figure out who, who owns this piece of property. But Tiffany built a building on her property and this mystery land. And so that can create an issue in the long run if a corporation comes in to develop, uh, let's say you wanted to build a McDonald's right there. If McDonald's comes in and builds on that property and doesn't realize that they are encroaching on someone else's land, you can imagine what person B who owns that $2,500 or 2,500 square feet is going to say when they realize McDonald's is sitting there. Mm -hmm. 
they're going to want, they want McDonald's to pay for that land. And so it's important that you know when you're looking at the survey, do I own all of this or do I just own this? And so once we realized that we were encroaching on 2,500 square feet and there was this mystery owner, you had one party that said, hey, I want to I want to move forward on this. And, you know, I don't care about the encroachment. We can just buy that property and the property next door. And then you had another property or a partner that was like, hey, I don't know about that. I don't think that that's a good idea. And a part of it was because of pricing. The pricing in that area was so expensive, it would take our, pri- our purchase price up by double. Mm. So when we talk about, you know, what are the things that can make those transactions go out? You know, the teardown of a partnership. A lot of times when people go in to do it, breaking down of a partnership in the midst of a transaction will drag something out. And then, wow. you know, you're, you're trying to figure out how do you piece it back together? How do we get financing? Because together we had it figured out. But now we have these other moving parts. We've got to figure out what's the next thing, what's the next move. Um, from a leasing standpoint, when you're talking about what can drag out a transaction, it can be a number of things. What are you negotiating? For instance, if you're looking to do a restaurant and you have, you know, maybe it's a shell space, there's nothing in there. You might be negotiating for the landlord to build it out, put a vent hood, a grease trap, anything like that in there. Um, or you could be saying, you could be trying to figure out, is the HVAC intact? Um, I had a, a group that we went out to a property and uh, it looked, it seemingly looked well. We were ready to sign the deal until we recognized we had an inspector come out and realized that the HVAC was completely gone and the landlord had it on the tenant to pay for the replacement of the HVAC. That's a very expensive replacement. And so when we're talking about what draws it out, it's the different moving parts. Commercial real estate is a business. It's not just where you live. So when people go in and they look at a home, they have someone come out and inspect it. It's beautiful. It works. Mm -hmm. These commercial properties are investments. They're business vehicles and they are meant to make money. And so they have to make sure that when they sign those leases or when they make those purchases, that that is going to be a value added purchase or lease to their business. And so they've got to make sure that they're looking at all of the dotting their I's and, and crossing their T's to make sure it's going to make sense in the long run. Due diligence. Due diligence. Due diligence. How important is due diligence in commercial real estate? Cannot stress it enough. I cannot. I, I had a conversation the other day. I do not recommend finding your homeboy's friend who can get over on getting <laughs> a certificate of occupancy. Yeah. I don't recommend that. Do it the right way the first time because once you're in there, you're the one who's going to have to figure out how do I get my business started? You know, the city's not approving me to be here now because of X, Y, and Z. Because as a landlord, that's not my business. That was your business. That was your job to get that looked at, your job to get it checked out, your job to make sure it would work. You signed a five-year lease with me. I don't care how you figure it out. Figure it out. But your rent starts on this date, whether you're making money or not. So if you are not, if you're trying to skim on due diligence, I do, I highly discourage it. Due diligence. Do your due diligence and everything and everything in life. Everything. Everything. I think it's the most important thing. And I think, you know, we were talking off off camera about, you know, some deals and people not really doing their due diligence and not including certain things when they're running their numbers and things of that nature is because they didn't do their proper due diligence. Most people are just rushing just to say, Oh, I'm in real estate. Mm-hmm. I own an investment property. Well, your shit ain't making no money. So <laughs> do you really have an investment <laughs> property? Or is it just like something that you just say, I own it, but I'm not making no money, right? Like yeah. it's a liability at that standpoint, right? So due diligence is key. And that's why we do so much content to give people enough information so that way they have it. That way when they go out here and make offers, they know exactly what they're looking for and what they're looking at. 
because this is the most important thing. Yeah. Of any transaction, whether it's residential or commercial, it's, like you said, one, treating it like a business, and two, crossing all your T's, dotting all your I's, and making sure everything you need to know about this property before you say yes and sign a contract that you're good because once you get in contract it's, it's a wrap it's, yeah it's it's a, it's a wrap once you're under contract and you've signed and it's executed and one thing that i will say that i love about your content and what you have always done is provided quality information because social media is such a dangerous place especially for real estate because there's so many mm -hmm. gurus online so many saying, gurus you know, come and buy my book. I'm going to teach you how to make $10,000 on this commercial property, or I'm going to teach you how to flip a house. And what they're doing is selling you on information that they are likely not using themselves, or they're not giving you everything. They're not really telling you the truth about it. And I've seen so many uh, gurus get online and give false information and give bad information. Um, for a year, I had tons of people calling me about content creation studios and event spaces because somebody was online telling them, this is how you make quick money but they never told them what it took to get into those spaces and also the liability behind signing a lease agreement. So well, let's talk about that, right? Because <clears throat> we're talking about lease, commercial real estate. You don't have to own commercial real estate. It's not about buying a property. Like you said, if you want to put a business in there, mm -hmm. um, a restaurant, event space, whatever it is, you know, shit, I'm in the business, a building right now that yeah. I have my studio in, right? I have to sign a lease. Right, so let's talk about that because there's a lot of entrepreneurs, especially here on EYL Network, that watches this channel all the time, and they have no clue about certain things like gross net, for example. Right? Can you explain like this process, like what what is gross net? Mm -hmm. What does that mean? So you have a couple of different leases. You have a oh, gross lease. I'm sorry, I yeah. said gross net. You have you have a full service lease. You have a triple net lease. Mm -hmm. You have gross lease. You, you know have, what I'm talking about, though. I know, I know. <laughs> you have you have the modified gross. You have uh, percentage leases and so mm -hmm. when you're signing these agreements it's important that you know what you're looking at and this is why I always encourage if you're gonna go and get into a commercial space do not do it on your own get you a commercial real estate agent I know you like your aunt and your uncles and they do great residential commercial real estate agents have a different level of knowledge when it comes to this space and so when we talk about triple net leases that means when you go online and you see the price says $10 a square foot and it says NNN next to it, that means it says a triple net lease. That is in taxes, insurance, and your common area maintenance. Common area meaning the, the space that you share with your neighbors. Hallways. Hallways. When you sign a lease like that, that means that there's an additional price. So when you calculate $10 on 2,500 square feet and you don't include your triple net, you do not have the total in which you're going to be paying. What's included in that triple net? Your taxes, insurance, and common area maintenance. Okay. So those are your three things. If you get a full service lease, that means that's it. $10 is it. If you get a modified gross lease, you need to ask them, okay, what are the other expenses that I have? Because it means that there's another expense. It could be the taxes and the insurance, and maybe there's no common area. Um, so you want to ask them, what, you know, what does a modified gross lease include? Um, and if you're looking at a percentage lease, you need to be very careful because that means that they want a percentage of the money that you're making. So, you know, those are the different the money you're making for your business, for your business. So like if you have a very popular restaurant, they may have you pay a smaller amount in your base rent. And once you reach a certain point or once you reach a certain level of income in your business, they want to take a percentage of what you make over that. So those are the things that you want to be careful with when you're looking to sign a lease agreement. You want to make sure that you understand exactly what you're signing um, and not guesstimating. So how do you determine if I'm a business owner 
or I want to start a business and I'm looking to lease a space, how do we determine what is the best lease for us and our business? I love this question so much. I think that commercial real estate gives people a, pri a sense of, of ownership and it's pride. But I also think that you have to analyze where you are in your business. And if you can cut down on your overhead, and of course I'm in commercial real estate, I want to help you. I want to help you get into a space, but I also want to be real. Do not overextend yourself. You don't have to. If you can make a space that's cheaper work, do that before you go and start extending extra money because your rent is going to go up. And if you're signing a three to five year lease agreement, those landlords are going to have you sign what they call a personal guarantee. And that means we don't care that you put it in your little LLC. We're coming after your personal assets if you default. We don't care about your LLCs. We don't care about your little LLC. <laughs> yeah, uh, little LLCs mean nothing. We know your guru told you to get it in the LLC. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> but Sit down, little, little LLC. <laughs> sit down, little LLC. <laughs> but those are things that, you know, you want to look at. But when you're looking for a space, you want to look at, one, you got to know your areas. What area do you want to be in? When I have clients come in, we have them fill out a client intake form. What area do you want to be in? Do you have to be there? Are you flexible? What is your budget? And when I say budget, you need to have six to 12 months of reserve in your account. Now that is not firm, that is not law, that is my recommendation to my clients because I wanna see you in that space a year from now. I wanna see you in that space till the end of that lease. I don't want you to be in that space and then six months from now you're calling me saying I've gotta get out. Six to 12 months of reserve lets the landlord know that you have the capacity to pay your bills on time. If you don't, they're going to start requiring things like an extra deposit. Um, so maybe if they initially said the deposit is first month's rent and an equal deposit, so let's say $5,000 for first month's rent and $5,000 for equal deposit, if your financials don't look good to them, it looks like you could default, they might ask you for two months' rent and an equal deposit. So you just went from $10,000 down to $15,000 down. So highly recommend six to 12 months of reserve in a bank account that says I can pay my bills on time. Um, Making sure that you know your business. I'm, you know, I can go and look it up, but one of the things that most people do is they don't even know their business, what's necessary. We've had people with daycares that don't know that they need a green space for children to go outside and play. Mm -hmm. um, we've had people come and say, well, I want an event space and don't realize that parking is vital. So they'll sign a lease on a space that doesn't have any parking and now they're trying to figure out, well, if I can't have 150 people here, how do I make money? Well, that's your business. So knowing how much space do you need um, to accommodate whatever it is that you're looking to do. If you're looking to do an event space, you know, anywhere between five to 10 square feet per person, how many people are you going to be bringing in here? So doing your homework, not necessarily on the, re on the real estate, but do your homework on, the, on your business. Know what you need, know where you need to be, know where you're going to be successful at, know how much money you have to spend. So when you come to me, I can say, okay, we have this, we have that, we have this. I'm going to go in, put it in my search engine, and I'm going to find you all the properties that, that work. Also, be prepared to shift. Be prepared to move. If your budget is too low, then we're going to have to either shift your square footage requirements or your boundaries mm -hmm. where you want to be. You can't be so firm, especially when you don't know the market, that you're stuck on, I got to be here, it's got to be this much, and it's got to be, because we don't make the market, we simply report it. So I can't put something out there that doesn't exist. Agreed. So when you're saying, how do you figure out, you know, what's the best space for me? Figure out what your real true budget is. And when I say real true budget, do not let the market take you up from where you are. If the market says that this space is $5,000 and you only have three, either you're not ready or you need to switch your location. 
making sure you understand, okay, I need to be in this location for whatever reason. This is where my client base is going to be. I need to have this. If you have to have certain things in order to operate, know what those things are so that when you're looking for those properties, you can have a successful search. What about build to suit? Do you recommend those? Yes and no. Because that's a tricky, a tricky situation right there. Yes and no. First of all, explain what a build to suit is. So build to suit is when you go in and you develop the space as you want it from the ground up, from inside out. Now, and when I say ground up, it's typically going to be a shell space. So you're going in there and you can do your HVAC. And a lot of times you'll find restaurants will go in and do a build to suit. Um, build to suits can be very expensive. And so if you have the money to do a build to suit, then it may make sense. Um, and it's not always going to be extremely expensive, but it just depends on what your business is. So restaurants are typically going to be more expensive because you have to do the grease traps and the vent hoods. But um, if you're just doing an office building, it may not be that expensive. And when you do a build to suit, the goal is to negotiate what they call TI dollars or tenant improvement dollars. These are typically not free. I know that people think that this is free, but it's typically already built into the price. Um, and this is also another reason why having a commercial real estate agent on your side is important because they can go in and negotiate those things. I've seen people come up to me and say, you know, on properties that we've listed, I want $10, you know, to build my space out per square foot. And it's a residential agent who has no clue, you know, what they're talking about. And I'm like, okay. Meanwhile, I have a, a budget of 40 bucks a square foot. But you asked me for 10, so yeah. it's not, my job is to represent my client. So, you know, when you're building to suit, it's important to know how much in TI can you give me? How much is a landlord willing to put into that space for you to build it out to be what you want it to be built out to? Um, and you'd be surprised. We had our space built out in Houston and the landlord gave us pretty much everything we wanted. We had to negotiate a couple of things in there, some glass windows and stuff like that, which were extra. But you'd be surprised at how much you can get to build a space out. Um, from the landlord. From the landlord, the way you want it, exactly how you want it. And how much extra did that cost you for your lease? Depends. They'll, so they'll do what you call amorti or amortization, where they amortize it out. So if you have, let's say you spend $35,000, they'll say you're signing a five-year lease agreement. Let's amortize out your $35,000 over the duration of your six-year or your five-year lease. And so they'll just add whatever that number is on top of your rent. Or they've already built it into your rental prices. So when you see some of these spaces that are really expensive and they're saying they're offering you, hey, 35, 40 bucks in TI, that's because they already they've already built that into your price. Yeah. Um, but I will say also when it comes to build to suit, especially during the pandemic, something we came across was when the construction costs and the cost of material went up, so did the cost to build out the spaces. And so those people who negotiated 40 bucks a square foot. When they went to do the construction, they were getting quotes of 80 bucks a square foot, 100 bucks a square foot. So the money that the landlord had already agreed to give them was not going to be nearly enough to cover the cost of building their space out. Yes. So that's another reason why it's important that whoever you're working with not only knows about how to calculate the rents, but also how do you calculate TI? Is this a fair and reasonable amount? Um, and then also, you know, making sure that if you're going to have somebody build it out, I always put it on the landlord because if there's a delay... Um, well, I won't say always. Most of the time, I'll put it on the landlord because um, if there's a delay, I don't want you coming to me and saying, well, time's up. You should have had a better contractor. I want to put it on the landlord and his contractor. So if there's a delay, you guys are responsible and I'm not going to pay for it. Smart. Smart. So it sounds like you are for these built suits 
But what are some of the cons of a build to suit lease? Uh, time to get it done. Um, you know, when we moved into our space, it was extremely raw. And this couple with the pandemic, uh, you have to go through certificate of occupancy. You have to have an architect come out and kind of do the sizing of your space and kind of build out what your space is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and that took a while. You'd be surprised at how long it takes to figure out a hallway, a conference room and a couple of offices. But you really want to take advantage of the space and you want it to feel the way you want it to feel and look the way you want it to look. So um, we had somebody come in and kind of sketch out what the spaces would look like. We had to have, you know, the city come out and approve all the things because you have to do wiring, make sure that there's electrical to the walls. So there's so much that goes into it. So you think that you're going to be in there in three months and you could be in there in six months. So that's one of the cons to it. It's just having to get the city to approve it and then also having the contractors do the work in a timely fashion. Time is not always on your side when you're talking about construction or rehab, no matter if the landlord is handling it, you're handling it. These contractors be contracting. Mm -hmm. These architects be architecting. They take their time, especially architects sometimes. It's very important to have a really good architect who's solid, who has speed, Mm -hmm. because sometimes it'll take them months to do plans and it's like dude what the hell like why is this taking forever mm-hmm. um so i think having a solid team do you refer a lot of your architects and contractors to your clients because i'm really against doing that because sometimes these people disappoint too much <laughs> like, i'm so against it like i people are like yo i need a contractor i don't know what to tell you go to google so this is a, i've developed a lot of really good relationships in the industry Um, And I do like to refer good business. But what I do to kind of save me and my clients um, and even the people that I'm referring out, I refer three to four people and I let the client make a decision. And I say, hey, these are three or four people that I know. You can check them out. If they don't work for you, then you can go outside of that, you know. But I like to if I can refer business, I want to refer business. And so, you know, I have I've not had an issue yet with referring business. And I typically have very, very good relationships where if something is going wrong, I can pick up the phone and say, hey, what's going on with this? Okay, so let's talk about analyzing deals. So we spoke about leasing deals, and I think that's very important because we always speak about ownership and things of that nature. But when you have a business, it's it's too expensive sometimes to buy the building. Mm -hmm. So I think that was very important information that we share with the audience right now. But let's talk about analyzing commercial real estate if you're looking to purchase it, Mm -hmm. right? Um, What are some of the things that you are looking at when you're analyzing a commercial real estate investment deal? So when we do commercial real estate investment deals, we traditionally do what we call a BOV or a broker's opinion of value. And what we do is we go out to the site and I'm not just looking at, I remember I saw one of the gurus online say, this was an old Walgreens. And if you buy it today, you can get it for 50% off because it's been vacant for six months. That's not true. Um, I look at where is it positioned at? Is it as a, is it at a, you know, signalized corner. That's very desirable. Um, is a signalized it, corner. A signalized corner is just where there is a um, a traffic light, red, green, you know, okay. stop and go. But what happens is that property typically is going to get some good eyes and some good traffic because it's at that signalized corner. So that can bring value to the property. So I'm looking for, you know, where is it situated at? I'm looking for the condition of the building. I'm looking at um, the developments, not just directly around it, but a couple miles, one, two, three miles out. I want to see what's happening outside of the area. Um, I want to know what's happening within the community. 
Is there something that we know that's coming up or not coming up? Um, you want to look at what else? The condition of the building. We talked about that. You want to look at the area, the, the demographics in terms of who's living here, household, traffic count. Those things go into analyzing the value of a property. So when you're looking to figure out, okay, is it worth it or is it not? And then, of course, you're looking at the sale comps and the sold comps. What's for sale now and what's sold? I traditionally like to look within a three-year time period for okay. the sold because if you go too far back, if you're looking at properties like today in 2023, if you look at properties in 2017... Completely different. Completely different. Yeah. So you want to look at the value of those properties as they are today and then within that three-year time frame. Um, and then that's how I come up with kind of like, what do I believe the value of this property is? I can take the numbers and, you know, I kind of I crunch them based on what I see, based on what's going on, based on what I know is coming. Um, and again, based on the, the, the value of the building. And also, I think sometimes people think that just because there's a building on the property that you're doing it based on the building. Sometimes I'll go and say that there's no value to the building. The building is in such a rough condition. There's no value. I'm just going on land value. And you'd be surprised to know that sometimes land value is more than the actual value that people think is on the building. So how do we look? How do we determine that? Right. How do we determine that the land is more valuable than the actual building itself? So you look at the you look at the usability of the building. Mm -hmm. So if you go into the building and it's dilapidated, like there's nothing that you can do with it. It's, it's going to be a complete teardown because the condition is so rough, it would cost you more to get it back in operational um, condition that you just tear it all the way down. When you look at it from that standpoint, it's like I can't put a tenant in here tomorrow. I can't operate out of it tomorrow on my own. So I'd much rather do a teardown. And then you start looking at the values of the land around. So, for instance, in Houston, um, Third Ward is a very, very popular area. It also has very old buildings that are sitting on some of the on some of the land and some of them are houses. So when you think about, OK, this area is up and coming. The value of the land is going up significantly and there's a building that's sitting on here. It's on a major thoroughfare. So while it's a house that's sitting there, if I tear it down, I could put a commercial building there and I can make it into whatever. And so then you can add the value to the building or to the to the land and say, hey, the land is actually more valuable than this building because of where it's located at, as opposed to the building. Because, again, most of those buildings in Third Ward um, that are run down, you're not going to do anything with them anyway. They're so bad. It doesn't make sense to try to go in and renovate. Yeah, you might as well just tear it down. You and might as well just else. tear it down. I love that. How important is cap rates? Now, when you're analyzing these deals and you're looking to determine what the value of the building is. Very important. So uh, what is a cap rate, first of all, for the people who might not know? So a cap rate is utilized primarily for a number of things, but primarily for two things. One, to figure out the value of your property. So you'll take your cap rate and divide it by your net operating income, um, which means just that your net and you'll get the value of your property. Mm -hmm. Or you can use a cap rate to determine what your ROI or return on your investment will be. Mm -hmm. Now, with cap rates, it depends on the investor. And so when people ask, what's a good cap rate? It depends on you as an investor. The higher the cap rate, the higher the return, but also the higher the risk. The lower the cap rate, the lower the return, but also the lower the risk. So, you know, it really depends on each individual investor when they're talking about what do I want to do? How do I want to do it? It depends on you and what is acceptable for you and how much you, you feel comfortable paying for a building. So, hmm. Interesting. 
a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on cap rates, mm -hmm. especially in the, the social media, YouTube world. Mm -hmm. um, but what is a good cap rate for a commercial property, especially in what you're, what you're, what you're working with on a daily, day to day basis? Like what's a good cap rate for you? I, I say, again, it goes back to the type of an investor. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand. And even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It, it really, really does. Um, some people can afford to have a higher cap rate. And again, with the higher cap rates, it's going to come with a, you know, a higher risk higher reward. Some people can afford that level of risk. Some people cannot. And so it really, like I said, it, it's really case by case. It's, there's no right or wrong answer. It really depends on each individual investor. What are you looking to do? What, do you, what can you afford to spend? And what are you willing to risk? <laughs> what are you willing to risk? What are you willing to risk? I think that's very important because real estate is risky. And people think that you're going to make money. You're not going to make money. Like you said something earlier, do you have, when you go into rent or lease, do you have 12 months of reserves? Mm -hmm. Right? It's the same thing with commercial real estate, too. Like, how much do you have in reserves? Because it doesn't mean that your tenants are going to pay you. You can buy a commercial building. It doesn't matter. These people won't pay you. Mm -mm. These are business owners, and if their business is failing, how can they pay you? So you need to have ample amount of reserves. So when you're looking to buy a commercial, let's just say you're buying a retail office space, um, you know, something like that. Like, how much in reserves should that um, investor have to cover, you know, God forbid their tenants don't pay? That's a really good question. And again, I'd have to say it, de it, it depends. I would probably say the same amount, um, six to 12 months um, of reserve for all of your tenants. Um, the other thing that people don't realize with commercial is you can't just go in and kick somebody out unless you put that in your contract. Commercial is the wild, wild west. Contracts are important. It's important that you read them and have an attorney to read them. I am not an attorney. Um, but if you don't know what's in that contract, you don't know what you don't know. I've had landlords try to evict tenants and because of the contract, they could not. And so what they have to do is go through the legal process of getting them evicted. Um, what they can do is they can lock you out of your space. And when they lock you out of your space, um, they can say, hey, you know, you're in default for one reason or another. Doesn't matter what you're in default for. So we're locking the building. You do have to give them access and by them. The landlord does have to give them access to their property inside, but they can lock them out of the space and keep them from utilizing it. So 
Um, mm. From a landlord's perspective, you're right. It is extremely risky. Everybody is not going to pay you the way you think they are. Um, there's going to be mispayments, and you've got to be able to afford to take that on the chin. More importantly, when I negotiate leases for my clients, I'm putting it back on the landlord that they are replacing those things that are expensive, like those HVAC units. So you've got to be prepared to pay for a $10,000 HVAC unit at the drop of a dime because as a tenant, I'm not going to operate in this space if the HVAC goes out. Facts. My job is to repair it where it needs to be repaired, but if it has to be replaced, that's on you, Mr. Landlord. Do you recommend your clients doing value adds when they're buying these commercial spaces or buy a turnkey? <sighs> what do you prefer? What's your preference? Where can we make the, the, the biggest bang for our buck in the commercial space? So, you know, I go back to the higher the risk, the higher the reward. If you do a value add, of course, there's going to be more in it, but there's higher risk. When you, when you talk about doing a value add, it's almost like how much value you're going to have to put in that building. How, mm -hmm. how old is the building? How much repairs are going to have to be done? What's going on? Turnkey, you walk in, let's say there's already tenants there. That's great. Um, but you may not make as much, but I have, I have investors that come from everywhere that say, Hey, we're cool with having, you know, not having much risk on the front end because their goal at the end of everything is to take that whole thing and turn it into something completely different anyway. Mm. So they have a long term, and I'll say that, um, our community does not look at things long term. Other people do speak on it. Other people are looking at it from a long term standpoint. They're not saying, uh, you know, I want to buy this property and then flip it in six months or a year. My investors come to me and say, hey, I don't you want to put somebody in there for six, seven thousand dollars a month. That's fine. I don't care. I don't need to make a ton of money right now because in five years I'm redeveloping it and I'm going to make it into this big old grand thing. And I'm going to make a ton of money on it because then I'm going to sell it. And when I sell it by then, it's going to be worth three, four times as much as I paid. For yeah, it. Right now, it's just about the tax benefits, most mm -hmm. importantly. And paying a debt service mm -hmm. make some money make right because you, you don't want to be broke right but it's really the long-term play and that's why i think when you said earlier about knowing what's the better use mm -hmm. of the land not so much so the actual building mm -hmm. you might buy a building that might have 10 units on it or something like that 10 retail units a mixed-use property whether but if you develop it tear it down and build 50 units now you got a 20 30 million dollar project on your hands when, instead of a two three million dollar property that you purchase mm -hmm. so that's about like you said having the right commercial real estate broker on your side to do that now because you keep talking about residential agents versus commercial mm -hmm. right <laughs> i love you residential people but you sometimes you gotta stay in your lane you don't need to be a jack of all trades and a master and none sometimes you gotta chill the hell out and stick yes. to what you know and it's okay to refer to someone like yourself who mm -hmm. you, you eat, sleep, shit, commercial real estate, right? Literally. This is yours, mm -hmm. right? Now, if I'm a, if I'm a residential um, real estate broker or realtor, what steps would you give me to transition my business from residential to commercial? That is a really good question. I love that. Also, I know that your fans are like, the beehive, so I don't want y'all to get on me. <laughs> Yo, that's the name, Tokes. The beehive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Your fans are like the beehive, and I'm constantly saying, you know. I love that. I shared it with you before off camera. I said, you know, when residential agents were booming, I wasn't out here trying to sell houses. I'll refer it over, no problem. 
but almost every residential agent is now that things are getting tighter is trying to move over into the commercial world and it's a disservice to not only them but their clients and you know i take that fiduciary responsibility very serious mm -hmm. um, but if you're looking from a residential standpoint to transition into commercial one um, i encourage and again there's always more than one way to skin a cat but i encourage pick a lane and master it whatever that lane is pick a lane and master it if it is residential, master residential. If you're gonna do commercial, you need to be looking to master commercial. But to do both, I will tell you, larger agencies do not respect, and I'll tell you what they call them, resi-mercial agents. Resi-mercial? Resi-mercial agents. What is a resi-mercial <laughs> agent? Is, it is someone who primarily does residential and then they dibble-dabble in commercial. And it, so it's, it's sad to say, and I ha it, I'm gonna just keep it real, what happens is when a residential agent comes to a commercial agent and they're trying to negotiate a deal that they don't know about, commercial agents can almost smell it. I've had residential agents ask me on site, what should I be asking you right now? Which is not a good look for your client because you're asking me to tell you how to negotiate the deal, but my fiduciary responsibility is to my, my landlord and to my client. I cannot negotiate the deal for you. And so um, if you're looking to transition, I say, Find you a commercial real estate agent that you know and you trust or that you can get to know and you trust. What we do for, for residential agents for us is we do, you know, learn while doing. You, you transfer it over to me. I do 25% commissions. I do not negotiate unless it is a larger, larger, much larger deal. And larger does not mean two or three million. Um, <laughs> so I just have to say that because what happens most of the time is, when residential agents refer a deal over one, it is always the one. It's like, oh, this is going to be great. Midway through the transaction, they disappear. Every mm -hmm. single time, it works like clockwork. Every single time. Every. I have not had one residential agent that has stuck with me throughout the entire transaction. Why is that? Because they're long sale cycles. Because they are long sale cycles. So when I'm up at two, three o'clock in the morning writing out LOIs or writing purchase agreements or negotiating back and forth with the with the agents, they're not there with me. They're off doing their residential business. So they leave it all to you and just want to collect the referral fee uh -huh. when it closes. But and I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with the referral fee. The referral fee is twenty five percent, but that is why I don't negotiate for the most part. Again, there's some there's some Corporate deals, government deals, we can negotiate, right? Because they're typically larger. But when it comes to residential agents, I don't negotiate the commissions because we take on so much work. And what they don't see is we have an in-house attorney who reviews lease agreements for us. Um, I have my assistant who pulls reports. I have my marketing manager who is sending out emails, who's reaching out to people on our behalf. We have a team that we have to support and pay that that agent isn't touching. That agent is not doing anything. So I would say if you're looking to transition into commercial, you got to be serious about it. You got to stick through the transition or the transaction from beginning to end. You don't just get to leave when it's getting boring or when it's getting hard or when it's getting tough. You need to stay, you know, hey, what's going on? Can you update me? Can you tell me where we are on this? Because it's up to you to make sure you stay involved. I'm not going to make sure you stay involved. I'm going to work this deal and I'm going to try to get it closed. Um, I also recommend going to a commercial brokerage. If you're at a residential brokerage, a lot of times what I find is residential brokerages do not want to pay for the tools that are necessary to be successful because they're expensive. And if you're doing one or two transactions here or there, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. So when you're pulling up reports from LoopNet at two o'clock in the morning, you I don't, love LoopNet. I, listen, I have a love-hate relationship with LoopNet. Yeah. 
But it's not showing you everything. No, it's not. It's not giving you everything. If you're on Crexy and City Feet, it's not showing you everything. You don't have access to some of the most comparable tools out there because your brokerage doesn't supply them. So if you want to do commercial, consider going to a commercial brokerage or consider going to a brokerage that if it does have residential and commercial, they're investing in the tools necessary for you to be successful. What, um, what tools are you speaking of? What tools do we need on the residential side to be successful on the commercial side? So there's a number of different tools. You have CoStar for sure. I'm sure everybody's heard of CoStar. It's mm -hmm. like the mecca of all commercial real estate search engines. Um, you have Zoom Info, which is very expensive. Um, most large firms have it, but because of how expensive it is, most smaller agencies don't have it. You don't necessarily need Zoom Info, but if they have it, it's a plus. Um, Land Vision is really good. It's another tool that, you know, again, larger firms typically have it, smaller firms typically don't. Uh, but you don't need, you know, Land Vision and Zoom. You absolutely need CoStar. CoStar, yeah. You 1 million percent need CoStar. It's not the, you know, it's not the end all be all, but if you don't have CoStar, you're not even touching the surface. And what does CoStar do? It is a search engine. So essentially, it is LoopNet on steroids. Okay. Okay. I like that because LoopNet is already great. So CoStar is greater. CoStar is CoStar greater. is the GOAT. CoStar is the GOAT, unfortunately. And it's expensive. It's very expensive, which is why. So it's almost like a monopoly, which is why I'm not a fan. Um, but, I mean, I can't. You can't buy it. They, they do a hell of a job. But City Feet and Comgate and all those other things, they're, they're good search engines to start with. But you're, if you're looking at that and telling your client, I can't find anything for you, you're, you're not telling the truth. So as a commercial real estate broker, what are the ways that we can make money if we go into that aspect from a transactional standpoint, right? I got my real estate license. I don't know if I'm going to do residential, commercial. Residential, I mean, obviously you have a handful of things that you can do to make money. Mm -hmm. I feel like a real estate license is a license to print money. Um, so... Like, it's just so many things you can do, mm -hmm. right? But from a commercial brokerage side, what are the ways you can make money by having your real estate license? I'm going to start with, with you. Mm -hmm. Referring deals over to lenders, you get 1%. Mm -hmm. If you send over a significant transaction, you just wait for it to close and, you know, there's money there. Um, you can get money from consulting. Um, if someone is asking me to do a broker's opinion of value on a property to get an assessment of what I think it's worth, I'm charging for that. Um, especially if I'm not getting your business, I got to charge you for, you know, the broker's opinion of value. Um, you can get government contracts. I think that a lot of people sleep on government contracts, but government government contracts require a lot more than what people are willing to extend. Uh, certifications, you have to go to different classes, you've got to network, you've got to know people. So government can be a little bit tough, which is why it's really good to join a team that's already embedded in government. Um, you can do facilities maintenance, which is where, again, you go in and you just take care of the building. So I was telling you off, off camera, you know, we had a contract where we didn't, you know, my dad doesn't change light bulbs in the house. Hmm. So, but we managed to, you know, do facilities maintenance for Marathon Oil, which was over 400,000 square feet of office. Mm. So, you know, and we had that contract for like 14 years and we hired about 14, 15 guys. So, you know, we just managed the guys. Facility management. Facility management. That's, we didn't. That's basically like property management, mm -hmm. but facilities. Yep. They would go in and they would move different desks. 
because at that point, um, you know, they used to just do a lot of moving of desks and placing people here and placing people there. So they'd move desks, they'd do wiring, they'd mount TVs on the on the walls. And so all we did was manage that process, mm. um, which was a really good contract for us. So, um, you know, there's a ton of different ways you can get into development. You can get into, um, if you don't want to do any of that, you can do appraisals, you know, surveys, uh, environmental surveys. There's so many different ways that you can make money in commercial real estate. I think you just have to figure out what works for you, where you find your passion at and go for it. And remember that commercial can be lucrative, but it also is a long game. Commercial can be lucrative, but it's a long game. I like commercial. I love commercial. Commercial is good to me. Only mixed use and multifamilies. All this other stuff you're talking, the office space, nah, I'm good. It just takes too long. Well, I can't. But you know what, though? It's interesting because now people are talking about this adaptive reuse concept mm -hmm. where they're saying, well, we want to take an office building and we want to change it into to apartment complex. Apartment complex. I was just about to ask you about that. Like, what is your thoughts on these conversions that's happening? Because a lot of this office space right now is dead. I mean, there's reports all over the country because of the pandemic mm -hmm. of, you know, people having to work from home. And a lot of these businesses are not going to go back to being in the office. People are more productive at home right now. So I, I'd, I'd fight you on that one. Um, you don't think so? Well, so I have, I have an interesting view on it. I think, and it has nothing to do with real estate, I think people working from home, 100% is a disservice to the employee because those water fountain conversations are not happening at your desk. Mm. And how many times are people going to reach out to their supervisor and say, hey, you know, Jim, I want to have a call with you today to talk about how I can get better. If there's opportunities for me to grow in the company, those conversations aren't happening anymore. And people are getting very comfortable with being comfortable. They're okay with being okay. So when they get their 3% annual raise, they're okay with that. It's the people that are going into the office that are, you know, rubbing elbows and bumping shoulders and, you know, looking to make a difference within the organization. I think so many people are so ready to say, I just, I'm just here to get a check. You know, I'm going to work this job from home and, you know, I'm just here to get my check. They don't recognize that if you add value to a company, that's where you start to make your money at. When you start being a value add to a company, they're like, wait a minute, we can't lose you. They're not going to bump you 3%. They're not going to, you know, give you pennies on the dollar. They're going to say, we can't lose you. We're going to move you into a different role. We're going to give you a different promotion. Um, and sometimes if you if if you're smart about it, You'll take whatever you're passionate about or whatever your side hustle is and try to integrate it into that company and figure out, hey, I don't want to leave the company, but also can I work for you instead of being an employee? Can I be a contractor? I have this product or service that I know you guys can use and I still want to work with you. How do we make this happen? And you build relationships, but you build relationships in person. How many relationships have you built over Zoom? Mm. Jim, good question. Because I mean, you really can't. You, you can't. It's we virtual. Get, we get on Zoom and it's like, hey, all right, cool. I'm in my pajama bottoms. Everything's cool. All right, cool. See you later. And you get off and I've forgotten your name by, you know, 10 minutes later. Okay. So the networking aspect of being inside the office building, the office space and everything like that it's is being lost. Is being lost. Well, I, I definitely would agree with that because even my team is virtual now. I don't, I haven't seen my team and I don't know, God knows how long. Right. Except for Tooks. I see him every day. Well, and right. you, you got to be intentional about developing those relationships. And, and I think that sometimes that's lost. And the graying of America is a real thing. And so that means that there's a lot of positions that are going to come available. And it's not going to be because our generation and I hate to say it again, but our people 
we don't look at the graying of America as an opportunity. We just want to stay at home and work from home because I get to watch my favorite shows. I get to get my hair done. I get to, you know, play with my dog and play the game. And, you know, nobody bothers me. But what you fail to realize is, you know, Jim, who's 72 years old, is getting ready to retire. And I can tell you, somebody is talking to Jim. Somebody is in there, you know, getting his book of business. And if it ain't you, who do you think it is? The opportunity is being lost. So, you know, our, our baby boomers are preparing to retire. There are opportunities that are going to come available. And if you're not in the room, you're not going to even be considered out of sight, out of mind. Agreed. So. You're, you're out of sight, out of mind is the truth. Because mm-hmm. sometimes I forget about my team. I'm like, oh, because I don't <laughs> see them. He doesn't, right? mean, he doesn't mean that. I love y'all. Y'all know I love y'all. But, I, yo, some, it's out of sight, out of mind. Out of sight, out of mind. You know, when you're seeing somebody every single day, it's like, oh, yo, come here a second. Something just came out. Let me show mm-hmm. you this. Let me. It's, it's, autom- it's training that's happening without being dubbed training or coaching or mentoring mm-hmm. that's happening um, by accident. When and you're in the office. That's the thing. I tell people all the time, our attorney would have conversations on his phone. And if, as long as it was okay, I'd, I'd ask, I'd say, hey, you know, do you mind if I listen? Or I'll ask my dad, do you mind if I listen? Or I'll, I'll listen to how they're negotiating. I, I've stolen tactics from our attorney. I love him. I've stolen some of his tactics just by overhearing him use it with someone else. That's stuff that you don't get working from home. I would have never heard him talking about what a burn-off clause on a personal or yeah, personal guarantee was. I would have never known what that was. But that's what you're missing, that it's the unintentional you know, coaching and mentoring that you don't get when you're at home. You don't build that relationship. You don't get coached. You're not growing. You're just remaining stagnant. So I have my, you know, I think remote working is it's beneficial because it allows you, like our, our assistant gets to go home at 3 o'clock, and if she needs to work from home, she can. But... I think it's beneficial for her to be in the office because she's consistently learning and consistently growing, growing. And I don't think you get that when you're 100 percent remote. So I just think like a balance of it. I agree with that. Uh, a balance of it is cool. But a lot of these companies are not going to because, look, yeah. a lot of these office space, especially here in New York and mo- most of the high cost cities, is very expensive. Yeah. To rent office space, especially if you're in prime time locations. Right. So this conversion that I'm starting to see happen, taking this office space and making it into condos is happening nationwide. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's interesting. Um, I think that if you are in a position to convert those buildings financially, I think it works. But I got an opportunity recently to see um, a conversion trying to happen. And I think what people don't realize is how much of an office building is not made for people to live in. Yeah. And so like certain things like the piping for you to get showers or, you know, here in New York, I didn't know this, but in certain buildings, the lights have to remain on 24 seven. So it's a safety thing. So they have to go in and rewire all the lights to make it conducive for a tenant, for a tenant, for someone to live in. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have to break it out. So you have to bring your architects in. You got, you know, I think it can be a very expensive conversion. But for those places that need affordable housing, I think it could be a good move. I think it could be a good look. Um, it just it, you just have to make sure you have the right team on it because it's going to be a lot more complex than just going on and putting some paint on a pig. Um, you know, getting a, a multifamily unit and just throwing paint on the walls and you know putting up some fake granite. It's, it's more than that. It's it's, it's more a than lot that. more. It's the mechanics of the actual building because, like you said, it wasn't built for this. Mm-hmm. It was built for everyday industrial type of work 
in and out, moving and shaking, lights on all day. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking about people need to live here, it's, it's the, insula the insulation needs to be different. It has to change completely. <laughs> yeah, like when like, you think about that, I'm like, Jesus. It's expensive. Yeah. So with the pandemic, it put uh, a chokehold on the commercial real estate space, in my opinion. Where do you see, you know, where, you know, second quarter 2023, what is your outlook for 2023 going into 2024 for the commercial real estate market? Do you think it's going to continue to have a lot of pressure on it and is values or rents going to decline at some point? Um, what do you think is going to happen with the commercial real estate market? So office is going to continue to be challenged, in my opinion, mm -hmm. um, because of the remote opportunities. Um, I do think, and then the other thing that offices you're seeing is the B and C class buildings. There's, it's called the flight to quality. So you're finding tenants that are leaving some of the older buildings and they're going over to the new buildings for the amenities, the newness, the modernness of those buildings. So you're seeing that happen. Um, so I'll, I'll break it by sector. So office, I think, will continue to be weak, but I do think that we'll start to see more and more people who are smart take advantage of the office buildings that are starting to be vacant. So those B and C class buildings, uh, what we did in, even in our office space, I say ABC was our method. We took a B minus building had them do an A-class build-out, and we pay C-class rent. Mm. We didn't need all of the, you know, the glitz and the glam. We didn't need that. We have real estate agents. Y'all are barely here anyway. We just wanted to have a light, airy space for you to have somewhere to drop in if you need to. So we we're smart about how we're moving it. So all that office that's coming on market, if you're smart, you'll take advantage of getting in there and getting you an office space. And if, you, if you're confident in your business, sign a five- or ten-year lease, lock it in, 10 years aggressive if you're starting up um but sign you a three or five year lease if you're if you're smaller and lock in the lower rates because they need you especially right now especially right now warehouse industrial all of these at-home businesses that have become distribution companies are doing phenomenal and amazing but y'all are driving up the prices of industrial spaces significantly when the day that I see someone paying $14,000 in an industrial space that is completely empty, there is nothing in there. It is just concrete floor. That is the day that I knew industrial is, is going up. It is, it is high for demand right now, um, especially, like I said, with distribution centers. You have your Amazons, your Walmarts, and even some of your retailers are figuring out, we want to have distribution centers so that we can get products to our customers quicker. So they're even getting smaller spaces. So industrial, I see continue being strong. I don't think it's going to be as much um, as it was over 2020, 2021, because we're starting to see more inventory come to market. So, of course, the more supply, you don't have as much demand. I think that the, the rates will start to kind of even out a little bit. Um, but I still think that they'll be a little bit a little bit higher than what we want them to be. Um, and the smaller the smaller warehouses are very difficult to come by. So. Um, those rents, I don't foresee them dropping very much. Uh, in terms of retail, retail has been strong, um, even in the midst of the pandemic, although they did take a hit. Retail, I think, is going to continue to stay strong. People are still shopping. People are still spending money. Absolutely. Even though interest rates are skyrocketing, people are still overspending on every single thing. Absolutely. Um, so and as inflation goes down, they're going to spend more. They're going to spend more. Mm -hmm. So I think retail is going to continue to remain strong. Um, office retail industrial land i think really i mean land is there's a finite amount of land 
So I think that the value of land is going to continue to go up gradually as well. And depending on where you are in your city, um, the different developments around it will drive the values up. Um, I know in Houston we have the East River Project that's in Fifth Ward. So Fifth Ward is a pretty low-income area, but now people are seeing values on property that they've never seen before because of this massive project that's coming. So, you know, I think land is going to continue to go up. I think it'll still be, you know, depending on where you are and depending on, like I said, developments that are surrounding it, I think it's still going to be strong. You'll continue to see it go up as well. Man. But I think the opportunity lies in office space. If office space. Uh, the opportunity Whether you're office. looking to buy or lease. Whether you're looking to buy or lease. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of buildings that have been sitting on the market right now for years. Mm -hmm. They can't move it because who's going who's gonna to operate here? What are they going to do? You have these massive buildings. Either you're going to tear it down or you're going to try to put a tenant in there. But what tenant is going to come in here? It's an old building. No you know, amenities. No, no amenities. No nothing. No, you know, pretty Starbucks. What are the, what are the kids yeah. like? The little Starbucks corner? Yeah. <laughs> like none of that. So N Nothing. It's opportunity in every crisis. The opportunity in every crisis. I think when we look for opportunity, you look for the weakest market. And right now, the weakest sub-market in commercial real estate is office. Hence why we see all these office conversions happening nationwide. Mm -hmm. Tiffany, you gave us like a master class for a podcast interview. <laughs> this was absolutely incredible. I learned some shit. I know Tooks learned. Um, this was incredible. Tell people how to find you. Uh, you can find me. Do you have me. any books or anything? What do you have? Come on. What we got going on? You got too much knowledge in your brain because this was just the surface. I told you it was going to keep this kind of like an introductory to commercial real estate world. Mm -hmm. I know. I'm just listening to you. I'm like, damn. I know there's so many more questions I want to ask you, but I don't want to go over nobody's head too much. But where's the product? Where's the course? Where's the book? What are we doing here, Tiffany? So there's no book. I did start a, a mentorship program, which I'm considering restarting. Um, the, uh, I'll be very candid with you. When I look to do mentorship, I really want to be impactful. And I feel like when people come on board, if they're not spending two, $2,997, they don't take it serious enough. Why that number? I like that number. Just because, you know, when I see all of these master courses, they're like, oh, you know, the master course is $1,997. But for today, we're going to give it to you for $25. Um, <laughs> 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 so, you know, I just. I, but for today. But only for today. $25. $25. <laughs> uh, but the truth is. You know, when You're I do funny. it, I want to do it to where it's affordable. Commercial estate is already expensive enough. Mm -hmm. I don't want to charge people something that they, they're just learning. They just want to know the information. And so I think for me right now, the opportunity, you know, is, is with the mentorship and, and having a mentorship program that we already spearheaded, we already started. Um, I'm thinking of, of re-gearing up for that um, to be able to provide the information at an affordable cost so that people can come, they can ask their questions, they can bring their deals. If you're a residential agent and you're working on a transaction, you have somebody that you can that you are like, hey, look, I'm working this. What should I do? What are my next steps? Um, how can I get this to the next line? Do you have any relationships? You know, how do I get into a commercial real estate brokerage? That's the value that I want to bring. So there's no there's no course yet. There's no book yet. Um, I think the opportunity for us just lies in the ability to mentor those who are interested. Um, I do have to say we have to charge because if I do it for free, you'll waste my time for free every single time. Facts. Um, if it's free, it's for them, but it's not for you. It's not for me. Because they're not going to show up. No. 
They will not show they up. They will not show up. Uh, or, or or they'll show up and they'll waste your time. They, they won't come prepared. They won't have the information. They won't have their questions. And so I like having skin in the game. So the fee that, that we charge is not necessarily because we want to be millionaires off of you. We want you to show up. We want you to take it serious because we take it serious. So I would say that's probably where the, where the opportunity lies. But you can find me on, on Instagram at Tiff Ann, T-I-F-F-A-N-N, Ryland, R-Y-L-A-N-D. Um, and yeah. You taking business? Absolutely, we're taking business. If you're, if you're looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate, we have affiliate offices across the country. We have one here in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm licensed in Georgia, so Houston, Tennessee. Uh, where else are we? Washington. I think the whole DMV area, all of that good stuff. Okay. Chicago, LA. I have to look at all of our affiliate offices, but we have affiliate offices across the country that we can help service different accounts on. I love it. I love it, y'all. So uh, throw some gems in the comments for Tiffany. You gave us a lot of information um, today. My head is still spinning. I like the mentorship thing. I think that's dope. Definitely need a course or something like that. I'm going to talk offline because I, I, already, I already have ideas. As you're speaking right now, I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. I got a lot of ideas because you need something. This is valuable information. And not for nothing, there's not a lot of black and brown people in the commercial space. Less than 2% of commercial real estate agents are African-American. Full 100% commercial real estate. Not I do residential and I can do your commercial. Less than 2% of C-level commercial real estate agents are African-American women. Less than 2% of commercial brokers in America, not the flopping back and forth people, true commercial real estate people. And not, I do marketing, I do, um, you know, not that marketing, marketing is important, I love my marketing team, but I mean, true brokers. 2% are African American. Women. Women. Mm -hmm. Do you know the stat for African American period? Uh, I'm not certain what it is, period, but it's very low. It's very, very low. But 2% of women. Mm -hmm. It's a trillion-dollar industry. It is a trillion-dollar industry, which is why I get so frustrated. I'm like, if you could commit, my dad says, if you're not married, don't get married. If you don't have kids, don't have kids. If you can stay at home with your mom and dad, do that. Practice group economics. Our community doesn't like that. But group economics is probably the number one way for you to get into commercial real estate. Stay at home. Get you a roommate. Save your money. And for six months to a year, put your head down and grind it out. That's how you get into it. But you, you can't be staying in your you know, $4,000 high-rise condo trying to get into commercial real estate. You really have to be focused and have a good support system. Mm. Great advice. I like this. Thank you for coming to New York. Thank you for being on the pod. We really appreciate you. We're going to have to do some more things together because this is an introductory to the, to the audience. <laughs> and although you've taught at EYL University, this was like three years ago when we first started. Yes. Um, you came and you blessed, blessed us. But we got to do some more stuff with you because you're, you got a lot of knowledge. We got to get Dad in here, too. We got to talk to Pops, too. We got to get oh, him in there. He's, he's an OG. Look, you got to play some Cardi B for him. He'll be right in here. Say less. <laughs> Say less. All right, y'all. So make sure y'all tap in with Tiffany and everything that she's doing. If you want to buy commercial real estate anywhere in the country, she can help you. She is MG verified. She don't need a blue check from IG. She's MG <laughs> real estate verified. All right. Uh, drop some gems. Make sure you guys go to mgbookstore.com. Get the books. You know, I put that up earlier. Uh, like, comment, share, subscribe. Go to anywhere you listen to podcasts. Spotify, Apple, rate it five stars, leave a review, download it, listen to it on audio. 
And uh, yeah, I think that's all I got for the people today. Thank you for coming, uh, Tiffany. We appreciate you. And we'll see you guys next week. All right. Peace. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.